0: Welcome back, everyone. I wanted to um, just make one more point on the giving and receiving because during the last break, someone reminded me of something important. Um, I was talking about the fear of giving and someone reminded me of this important point, that some of us weren't left with or don't have a large reservoir to draw from anyway. So it would be hard to give. And you would feel as if what little you had was being taken away. So the fear there is more appropriate. It's not like a phantom fear. You're actually saying, I don't have a lot of reserves to draw from. So that would be an important thing to notice. So I wanted to bring that in. Also mention uh, that an important part of intimacy is feelings and that we also often have a fear of showing or receiving feelings, so again on the giving and receiving, it might be hard for us to give out our feelings, to show them to someone else. I'll give an example. Or it might be hard to receive the feelings of others. Especially anger. It might be hard to show the anger. Because if I show the anger, you may not like me. So, I might lose you. And if you show anger toward me, that might feel like you're abandoning me. In a healthy relationship, you would be able to show the anger in a way that does not break the connection. So, I'm angry at you. Anger is the shortest feeling. So, I'm angry at you. I express it, and I let go of it. And the relationship is restored to its original condition. Whereas often, especially in childhood, people came at us with a kind of anger that was actually abuse. It was—it had violence in it. It had threat in it. It had intimidation in it, which does not go along with, um, which is not part of, Actual anger. It's more in the realm of abuse. In healthy anger, it's always in control. I express my displeasure. I say, ouch, but I don't turn it into something intimidating. Timao in Latin means fear. Intimidating. Put D, the DA part, That word means give. So intimidating means you're giving or putting fear into someone. Real anger doesn't do that. But in childhood, the big parent coming at us with anger when we were so small and powerless certainly felt scary. It could be that I maintained the original version of the anger Experience And even as an adult, I feel small when someone shows anger toward me. So part of the work of becoming an adult is letting go of that childhood way of crouching in front of someone who's anger, angry, rather than standing. I might be afraid of showing the feelings or afraid of letting you show them. That would be a big disability when it comes to intimacy, since intimacy includes the giving and receiving of feelings. Once again, we connect it to childhood, as I just used... Gave an example, say, with anger. The way our feelings become safe. How do they become safe? They become safe when they're greeted with the original five A's. So when you were sad, they noticed it and paid attention to it. This word in Latin, t-e-n-t, Comes means uh, to stretch. The first part means toward. Attention means somebody stretched from himself toward you, was able to pay attention to you. That's what it means, stretch. Leave myself and go to stand in your shoes. When you felt sad, someone paid attention to that sadness accepted it rather than told you, oh, there's nothing to be sad about, appreciated the pain and the sadness, held you affectionately while you were sad, and allowed you to cry as long as you needed to rather than saying, stop that crying or I'll give you something to cry about. (laughs) So that would be the non-holding response. This is the holding response, the five A's that would make it safe to feel. The experience of it being safe to feel, at least most of the time, installs the feeling of... I'm using an example of sadness, so let's just say that. Safe to feel sad installs the sadness chip ever after, you can express it without being afraid or embarrassed or ashamed. And you're going to look for the kind of relationship that greets the sadness with the five A's. When someone else is sad, you will take the model of your parents or grandmother or whoever, uh, greeted the sadness with hospitality, that is with five A's, and thereby installed them in a healthy way. When this didn't happen, then it will be understandable that you'd be afraid to express it. So don't let people say, oh, you're a cold fish. It isn't really like that. If you're cold emotionally, it's because someone scared you into it. It's not because you're actually cold. No mammal is cold like that. All of us have the warmth. But it could have been squelched and turned into something scary. And therefore, you didn't feel safe enough to show it. So what is the work? The work would be to self-install, to reinstall the sadness. And the way you do that is you say straight out in your relationship, I want to be able to show my sadness and my anger, my fear, whatever the feeling is. And I need to have you be able to receive it in a way that helps me feel safe. So for instance, don't scrunch up your face and frown at me when I show a feeling. Don't laugh it off or minimize it. Don't run away. Just stay with me. Keep that eye contact while I have the feeling and reassure me that it's okay to feel as I do. This is what you would sound like when you were trying to use the relationship to help you work with the reinstallation. Everybody follow? And the kind of of partner who can't hear that is the kind that you need to do some work with. And often that would take therapy. Questions about the feeling part? I just wanted to be sure we... mentioned it. Way in the back. So the main feelings are... Sadness... Anger... Um, fear and exuberance because even this might have been dangerous in childhood. I remember my mother always saying to me if I was really, really happy, remember, David, after, sat, after laughter comes tears. <laughs> I'm not holding it against her.
1: Um,
0: So you can remember them by safe, S-A-F-E, sad, sadness, anger, fear, exuberance, safe. And they're only going to feel safe when they are held with respect rather than made fun of or canceled out or minimized. Yes?
1: Um, So the question is about how we don't rely on just our partners for this kind of work because just like i might not have a certain chip installed my partner might not have a certain chip installed might be the same chip so i can say what i would like is for you to be able to meet my anger with these things but you know he or she may not have the capacity at the right you know right now it might be something they're working on and that might not be like, well, this is not the right partner, but it's, you know, so, you know, at some level, I would think it would be my responsibility to figure out how I can get that, you know, rather than relying on, you know, you have to do this. Because they they might not be in a space to, a be able to do that. That's a
0: good point. Yes, I see what you're saying. She's saying it shouldn't have to depend on whether the safety field is created by the other person. You can bring your own safety with you. Whether or not you can handle this, here's my sadness. If you want me to help you handle it, I'm open to that. But I have often seen in doing couples counseling, the male's fear of a woman's feelings, which shows itself as minimizing, doesn't matter, Doesn't count. Female fear of men's feelings, uh oh, that might, he might go out of control. All of that has to go. Everything has to go into the new perspective, which is there's a way to express feelings and be with them that is non hurtful, has no judgment. We have a spiritual practice in Buddhism that helps us with this, called mindfulness. So how can I be present mindfully while you have the feeling you have? It'll be to be in the here and now without judgment, demand, control, definition, Desire that it be different, attachment to the outcome, you, you know all the, all the um, all the circumstances that surround a certain experience, such as the ones I just listed, all of those have to go. and then we're just in the pure here and now. Let me just be with this as it is. Rather than with my usual add ons of judgment, control, definition, attachment outcome, so forth. So, this is where the spiritual work helps us in relationship. What an interesting example of it. Okay, so now I want to go on to. Um, the idea of letting go of fear. And I have a very specific, um, shall we say, program that you could work with. So now I'm in the book on page um, 126, for those who have it. It's called Working with the Fears. So let's just take the two main ones we were talking about. So the fear of abandonment is the fear that someone might leave you. So look at the fears under this one. Fear of abandonment actually equals I'm afraid to be alone. I'm afraid you will betray me. that is, break the trust. And if I'm alone, I may not survive. Fear of engulfment. I'm afraid you'll get so close that you will um, smother me. I'll lose myself. I'm also afraid I will lose my freedom to be myself. And therefore, part of the fear of engulfment is I better not make the full commitments because then you will eat me up. So, fear of commitment is in fear of abandonment. I'm sorry, is in fear of engulfment. <clears throat> Whereas this person with fear of abandonment has no problem making the commitment because it's okay with her or him if he, he or she keeps pursuing and keeps clinging. But, on, but the one with the fear of engulfment also has the fear of commitment. This is where you would place the fear of commitment. I'm afraid if I turn myself over to you, if I give myself to you, I will lose myself. Here it's, I'm afraid that since I have given myself over to you, you, might not hold me with trustworthiness and I will wind up losing you and be alone or be betrayed by you and be terribly hurt and disappointed. Now, how do we work with these fears? So I say on one twenty-six. Our task is not to stop feeling these fears. So you just notice that you might have fears like this, perfectly natural, normal. But I will no longer allow them to drive me or stop me. And then I have a very specific program to work with the fears. So the first step, as in the first step of Alcoholics Anonymous, we admitted that we were powerless. So the first step is always admit. I admit to myself and to one other person I can trust that I am afraid And this will take enormous vulnerability. Because what I've done is I've shown you that you matter so much that you could hurt me. And I'm willing to admit it. This will be a real sign of true vulnerability. Vulner in Latin means wound vulnerability means the ability to be wounded so when i say to you look i'm afraid that you'll leave me i'm admitting that i have this fear i want to work on it i don't want to put it on you but i just want to admit that i have it i have shown you that you have become big in my psyche And I have let you assume a size that's um, quite overwhelming. See, everybody's supposed to be just normal size. (laughs) Nobody's supposed to be, nobody's supposed to take up the big space inside you. So you admit and part of the admission is the willingness to be vulnerable. So, so most people will stop right here. They won't go on with the program. <clears throat> Secondly, <laughs> so they all begin with A, this helps us remember, allow myself to feel that fear fully rather than take a pill, take a drink, turn on the TV, call somebody, just... Allow myself to feel the fear fully in a cradling way. When I added that word cradling, I was bringing in how I could show the A of affection toward myself. I am holding it in a cradling way. I'm not holding it at arm's length like a dead snake I found in the garden. I'm cradling like mother and child. I'm holding the fear, letting myself feel it. And when I allow this fear, I see myself as a kind of uh, lightning rod. So the lightning comes in that's the fear goes all the way through my body and goes to ground I let uh, I'm just remembering that quotation from uh, Dune by Frank Herbert in which the people on this particular planet had a very specific little prayer that they use whenever they were afraid. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death. I will let the fear pass over me and through me. Then I will turn to see its path and realize that I am still here. So I'm going to let the fear pass through me. Go to ground, give it back to nature. And notice that I still remain. Just like the lightning rod still remains on the top of the house after the lightning strikes. I admit that I'm afraid. I let myself feel it. I act in such a way, this is a big one, and this may take a while to get to. I act in such a way that the fear could no longer stop me or drive me. I'll use an example. Act as if your fears were not obstacles to closeness or safety. If you fear engulfment, draw one inch closer than you can stand for one more minute than you can stand. Let the other person be close one more minute, then you can stand. If you fear abandonment, let the other one go one inch farther away than you can stand for one minute longer than you can stand. Then you know, oh, I can stand more than I thought. And you repeat this over and over, adding more and more time and space on each occasion until he goes all the way to Connecticut and it's fine with you. (laughs) So, example of the couldn't stop or drive you. Let's say the doctor tells you, oh, you're over 50, you have to take this particular test. But you don't want to take this test because you might find out you have some illness and you don't want to know about it. Now you're fine the way you are. Yet, your mind tells you, well, you really are supposed to take this test. So... You admit you're afraid to take the test because you don't want to find out the results. You let yourself feel the fear of taking this test. And so here I am, and I'm feeling the fear of taking the test. This is the cell phone. Afraid to take the test, afraid to take the test, afraid to take the test. I like to make an appointment follow? You feel the fear and while feeling it, you're making the appointment. Everybody get it? Mm -hmm. So you have overridden the fear with an action that is the right course to take. So I'm not going to let the fear stop me from taking the test or drive me to stay in denial? Mm. And uh, I've been using this technique and I find it really works. Mm. That whenever I have a fear, I, I say, Okay, David, admit you're afraid. And just the next friend you see, tell him or her about the fear. So I do that. And I just let myself feel it rather than try to avoid it. So it's allow instead of avoid. And then I'm just not going to let it stop me. I have said to myself, David, you will never be free of fear. But there's one thing you don't have to do, you don't have to act on it. Nobody can prevent the fear from coming in because any bird can fly over your head. But it's up to you if they make a nest in your hair. <laughs> so uh, so I'm going to let any bird fly over, I have no hair for the <laughs> nest to be made. But I'm not going to have to act on it anymore. It's the only place where I actually have some power. I do have it in me to call the laboratory to take the test. I don't have it in me not to feel afraid of taking the test. Forget that. Go straight to what is empowering. I admit that I'm afraid of closeness, let's say. I allow you to get a little closer than I can stand. And I make my... The action is I let my commitment be even stronger. Questions about this part of it all? So now we've had a chance to see how to work with the fears. Question? Question? Okay, hold it one sec. We're going to send over the microphone. So I'm admitting to myself and someone else. I'm allowing myself to feel the feeling and cradling it as if I were holding it affectionately. And then I'm acting in the way that I want to act as an adult.
2: In order to um, do the admission, that's based on um, deep honesty, correct? Yes. Okay. So in order to get there, if one has been practicing their fears uh, by acting out, not doing the program, it seems to me that um, what can be done at step one to help one to reach that depth of honesty. How does that manifest itself, uh, particularly in engulfment? How does that fear manifest itself so one can see that in one's life and uh, go on the process of identifying and admitting, yes, I do that, and that's because I'm afraid. Yes, I do that, that's because I'm afraid. That, that, and that. Because if it's difficult to get past that honesty or into that honesty, then it's your program, and as any program, uh, doesn't go any further.
0: Okay. I, I, I follow what you're saying. Um, so let's go back to, say, the 12-step programs. We admitted that we were powerless over alcohol or drugs or gambling or sex or whatever we admitted that we were powerless, and that we had to rely on a power greater than ourselves to recover. So, the spiritual dimension of the work on fear, which he is reminding us of, it begins with a trust In a power beyond yourself, what I call the sacred heart of the universe, power beyond ourselves that deeply wants us to evolve to grow, to develop, to become our full adult self, to be fulfilled. And that's the equivalent of trust in grace. The mysterious assistance that comes to us from beyond our ego, that can't be jimmied up by effort, that is not merited is just a pure gift, what I call the gift dimension of life. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's the topic of my latest book, which is called The Power of Grace. Mm -hmm. So you would have to trust in grace Mm -hmm. to start the process unless you're already there and you're just freely and easily admitting. But for most of us, it takes some type of turning toward, Latin, turning, convert, conversion. Conversion from what? From being stuck in your ego. That has to be the big shot, that has to be right, that is invulnerable, that's never afraid. That goes. And instead, it's okay with you to let people see that you're just as scared as everybody else. And when you get to that point, you're going to admit all over the place.
1: <laughs>
0: but, um, but the trusting in the power beyond ourselves that deeply wants us to evolve, this is a penetrating question. For every person. Do I really believe that there's something in the universe that somehow cares and wants me to grow? I'm remembering what Juliet said in uh, Shakespeare's play when she's uh, holding a lot of grief because Romeo has killed her cousin in a duel. And uh, she's sitting on a windowsill looking up into the sky, and she says, Is there some power sitting? Is there some pity sitting in the clouds that sees into the bottom of my grief? Is there some pity? sitting in the clouds that sees into the bottom of my grief? What a beautiful question. She's saying, is there some power, which people call God, is there some power out there in nature that connects to me all the way to the bottom of who I am in this moment? Can you imagine asking a question like that? What depth of perception? I mean, that is where this question comes in. Can I trust in a power beyond myself that deeply wants me to evolve? And if I can, then I will continually open myself to these graces that are trying to come through. It's a fem- hold it one sec. It's a feminine turning. This will be harder for men because grace. It's a feminine word, woman's name. Grace in Latin is feminine. It's feminine because instead of having to do with put out the effort to make it happen, it's allow it to happen. And it has this, um, this calling in it to trust that there's more going on than what I do, that more can result than the effort I put into it. So now we have come to the uh, excuse me, come to the most spiritual dimension of this whole topic. There's something to answer Juliet's question. Yes, there is a pity, there is a compassion sitting in all of nature that sees deeply into us. And the vision, the seeing into us, is the equivalent of equipping us to deal with what we have to face on our journey. That's the answer to her question. It's a complete yes. Yes, you can trust that there's something at work in the world that doesn't want you to be the victim of fear. You will not be alone when you do the work. Imagine having the fear of abandonment about Joe Blow when all the while I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. When there's a larger presence than Joe could ever fill up, that is always with us. And you don't have to be a um, theist to believe this. It, It can come to you as a feeling just by being in nature. Okay, let's have one last question on this, and we'll take our short break.
3: Uh, Yeah. When you speak these words, I, I think of my father, who is an incredible, remarkable guy, but I hear him saying, can I trust in myself this great divine power to evolve? And... I'm sort of in the middle between trusting in a power beyond ourselves and the voice of my father speaking, son, believe in the power within your own self. And I'd like to believe in both. And so I just wanted to put that out there that while you were speaking, I heard my dad's voice who has always just believed so much in uh, his own his own personal power and not so much uh of, of any any higher power per se.
0: Okay, well, you're bringing up a good point because you could say of course these are all spatial metaphors beyond within so forth so they don't really fit because the whole thing is a mystery. But you could say <laughs> Power beyond or within or around or over, under, whatever word you want to use. It's anything other than your own ego. Because the deeper part of us is not the ego. The big shot with the swagger, that's not the deeper part of us. Deeper part is, you know, that wonderful... uh, dimension of yourself that you feel in nature or in a love relationship or in dreams, beyond ego. So you can use any other expression as long as it's something bigger than that limited identity we call ego. Ego is just a Latin word for I. So it's something bigger than I. I. All right, so let's just take a short break and then we will come back and wind up.
2: Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.